blitz. Clean to Donald. He has the football. It's recovered by the Cougars. It's going to be lit on the Palouse tonight. They're not going to keep him off the field. Washington State upsets USC. Hey, that vaunted Washington State defense sacks Sam Darnold, forces a fumble, and beats fifth-ranked USC 30-27 back on September 29th, 2017. The man behind that Wazoo defense is Alex Grinch. And he's the new defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Hi, everybody. I am Lee Benson. And this can be considered one of our emergency podcasts, which we don't do many here on West of Everest. But the defensive coordinator news is certainly worthy of some discussion. So Grant and I have joined together relatively quickly since the news broke on Friday. And here we are. Things a bit different than normal. You probably noticed no opening take today. Instead, we're saving our takes for the meat and potatoes portion of the episode. And it's an episode that will center around Alex Grinch, as you might expect. Grant, uh, I'd like to ask you how you feel about the Alex Grinch hire. But, you know, I have a feeling that I already know the answer to that. Because for those of us who have been listening to the podcast for a while, and obviously you and I have been considering that we do the podcast, uh, fans of the show might remember a clip from all the way back from October the 9th. It was episode 76, and this was right after Mike Stoops was shown the door, and of course we were talking about the future of Oklahoma's defense, not just the immediate future of 2018, but what could possibly happen after 2018, and this is what Grant said. I think it would be a dereliction of duty if they don't, you know, back the Brinks truck up for Alex Grinch at Ohio State. That's the guy they need to go after in the offseason. He has experience marrying a defense with an air raid offense. He was the defensive coordinator at Washington State last year, and Urban Meyer at Ohio State was so impressed that he poached him from Mike Leach's, uh, from Mike Leach's staff and made him the co-defensive coordinator at at Ohio State. Now, he's not calling the plays at Ohio State. Greg Schiano is still doing that, so he is not the full-time guy. Lee, Oklahoma is not paying an offensive coordinator, and this is hats off to the Sooner Scoop guys who, in their post-game pod last night, um, talking about the firing of Mike Stoops, they brought this up. I thought it was a really good point. They're not paying an offensive coordinator because that's what Lincoln Riley does. There is no excuse for Oklahoma not to offer Alex Grinch a million dollars and just be done with it pay him a million dollars a year, get him here, and have Alex Grinch run the defense. I think that is the first person they should go to. And we're back in 2019. So let's bring in Grant after that uh, fearless prediction. It sounds like you you called it, Grant. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah how often does it kind of work out exactly like that? Because if I were... If, uh, if, yeah, never really. N- if, ne- yeah, never. How often do the, do the fans kind of get their number one choice? It doesn't really ever happen like that. And this was This was kind of before the the whole Pete Golding smoke started to appear. So, um, yeah, if everyone, if everyone remembers back to right after the Rose Bowl last year, this is exactly kind of who everybody wanted OU to go after. And, uh, it, you know, one year later, that is what has happened. So, yeah, I, I'm really happy. And actually, Lee, the more that I look into it, the more that I think that this was actually kind of the obvious hire. This was the one that they needed to go after. So, um, Good job all around by Lincoln Riley. This is, and I'm sure there was lots of moving pieces over the course of this. Probably lots of highs and lows. Who knows if Pete Golding was ever a, a realistic option? 
But at the end of the day, it's going to be Alex Grinch. And uh, I'm excited. It's a young guy. He brings in a lot of, uh, he brings in Power 5 experience, three years of it, which I think is really important. He's a young guy, an energetic guy. I don't think we know exactly yet how, you know, he's going to do in the recruiting uh, acumen of the job, but I can't imagine Lincoln Riley would have would have hired him if he didn't think that he could handle it. So um, I'm excited. And I think, I think we're going to, we're, we're going to sort of dig a little deeper into it, just about what we know about Alex Grinch up to this point, because um, in reality, we're not going to know really anything until we have you know, anything definitive until we get some sort of press conference from Alex Grinch and once news starts to trickle out from spring practice. But for now, we, we got what we got. And Lee, we're going to do our best job to s- sort of uh, sell everyone on this Alex Grinch hire. And not that we need to do any selling. It seems like everyone is, is pretty on board with this. But uh, this is a hire that I think uh, everyone should be pretty excited about. So there's plenty of quotes from the official Oklahoma release that came out Friday night that detail the hiring of Alex Grinch and there's plenty of quotes from Lincoln Riley and there's also some quotes from Alex Grinch and that's some stuff that we'll get to later in the show after you and I provide our thoughts and the big portion of this episode is going to be pros and cons sounds kind of standard but I think it's important to bring up yeah sure there's plenty of pros on the surface of Alex Grinch but I was texting you on Friday when this came down and I found a decent amount of cons, too, and this is not going to be me just you know, wanting to throw water and cold water on everything, but I think it's something that you got to bring up because with any sort of hire on any side of the football in any sport, there's always going to be some downsides because nobody is perfect. So uh, I just wanted to bring up those quotes because there are some quotes from Lincoln Riley about his recruiting ability, and I think I might have seen something on social media in the last day or two praising his ability, Alex Grinch's, to recruit the DFW area, and he has some relationships there too, which obviously being in this part of the country will be beneficial moving forward. So we'll get to all of that, and here's where I want to start. That big question, Grant, since early October that we've been asking that we were talking about on that episode 76 that we just played a clip from that you had some thoughts on Alex Grinch, that big question about Oklahoma's defensive coordinator Well, it's been answered, and it's Alex Grinch, and he's a guy that Lincoln Riley clearly wanted. I don't know if it's Lincoln Riley's first choice. It it, might have been. I'm sure if he was asked about it, Lincoln Riley will probably tell you, yeah, that's my first choice. Just whether or not that's true or not, we'll probably never know. It could have been, though. Uh, So here's the thing. We know that Riley is an offensive genius. Everybody knows that. You, me, a lot of other people have said for months now that this hire – will ultimately define Lincoln Riley's tenure at Oklahoma. And on paper, this looks like a home run hire. It does. Grinch is one of the two guys that had been rumored for months. Grinch and, of course, Pete Golding at Alabama. The thing is, though, we're not going to know if this was actually a home run hire for some time now. Like any coach, like I said, there's going to be pros. There's also some cons. So here's the thing. Friday was a big day for Oklahoma. A lot of optimism in the fan base and a lot of optimism you're going to get here from the hosts of this podcast. There's no doubt about that. But from my perspective, there are some legitimate concerns about Alex Grinch. And I'll bring those concerns up later in the show. But first, let's start with the good news. Let's go with the pros. Grant, do you have some bullet points for all of the pros on the hire of Alex Grinch? I mean, I I have just general bullet points. I don't 
I, I you probably broke them down more into pros and cons. I'll, this will probably be more of just like a free will because I discussion am more of a more of a, um, a guy who prepares and actually takes this stuff seriously. Yeah, okay. Go no, ahead. I mean that's just, well. I mean, one, you're just you're you're kind of throwing a little cold water on this. There's I there are not a lot of cons to this. I'm just going to come out and say it. Lee is Lee is sort of overselling that. There are not a lot of cons, um, mm. but. They're not, nope. and they're going to be. So. They're going to be ones that you've completely made up in your in, in your mind as worries. So, uh, but okay. well, no, it's okay. We'll we'll get to that, and I'll 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 probably be able to <laughs> uh, to just completely dismember all of your points uh, point by point. So, oh, it yeah, doesn't matter. Looking forward to that. Yeah, looking forward to you doing that. Mm-hmm. Great. But anyway, no, yeah, sure. Here, here here's the first pro, Lee, and I just want to I want to keep it as basic and as simple as humanly possible. This is going to be sort of like a, a multifaceted answer. One, here's the pro. He's young and energetic. And number two, Lee, he basically wants his defense to play incredibly fast and take the ball away. That is his philosophy on defense. Young and energetic, wants to play fast and wants to take the ball away. That's some, those are two things that OU's defense has been completely lacking the last four years. That's honestly enough for me to be really excited right there. And what's the evidence that he wants to take the ball away? Well, you go back to his three seasons as a defensive coordinator at Washington State, 2015, 2016, 2017. In all three years, the turnover numbers were very healthy. 2015, his first season, 24 forced turnovers. 2016, 23 forced turnovers. And then uh, a bit of a jump in 2017 up to 28 turnovers. So... 24, 23, 28 total turnovers in, in the three years at Washington State. Compare that now to 2018 at Oklahoma, 11 forced turnovers, Grant. And I went back, and the farthest, I guess the furthest, use that term correctly, the furthest I could go back to was 1997. Because in, 90, in 96 in the official NCAA website, when I looked at the team stats for that year and it got to turnover margin and turnover differential when it actually gave it, gave you the numbers of turnovers, it didn't have a full list because Oklahoma's number wasn't listed on there. So I couldn't get down to 1996. So I got from 2018 to 1997 and the lowest uh, number of turnovers in that span was 2018 this past season and the only season that came close to that, Grant, was 1997. Oklahoma forced 13 turnovers all the way back in 97. And, of course, Bob Stoops came in 1999. And from 99 until 2011, Oklahoma was pretty good at forcing turnovers with the exception of one or two years here and there. And, quite frankly, beginning in 2012 on when Mike Stoops came back, with the exception of 2013 and 2015, Forcing turnovers has been a problem for Oklahoma and Alex Grinch. It seems like his defenses don't just talk about forcing turnovers and creating turn- turnovers like we heard for the last couple of months this year with Ruffin McNeil. It seemed like every single availability, he would talk about how every week in practice, I don't know if every day in practice, they would always do turnover drills, things like that, but it, it never came to fruition for the most part in the games. It seems like not only does Alex Grinch want to, want to force turnovers this teams actually did force turnovers at Washington State and Lee OU's you know struggling taking the ball away the last few years that is a direct direct correlation of just 
the, the downward spiral of the defensive culture in the program, them just trying to be good enough. That's why they're so bad. And this is this is what the coaches have, have said the last three years, that they're just trying to be good enough for their offense. And that sort of attitude, it breeds really bad defense. So even if you are practicing taking the ball away, it, it's not going to matter. The culture isn't there. The attitude, the aggressiveness isn't there. This is one of the reasons why this Alex Grinch hire is perfect. This is a culture hire. Alex Grinch d- believes in the exact opposite of what Oklahoma's defensive coaches have been preaching the last three or four years. He wants to force the issue. He wants to make things hard on the offense. He doesn't want to just get by and let the offense outscore everybody. That's, that is that is reason number one why people should be excited about this hire. He's going to bring a different attitude to this defense. And it's probably, it's probably going to be different than the attitude someone like Pete Golding would have brought, that Alabama toughness, or uh, he was at UTSA before that, and, and who knows. But it, Grinch is going to bring the attitude of speed. And, and you see it. Anytime that you go and you, and you read about Alex Grinch, what his philosophy is, that, that speed D moniker comes up, and that's what he believes in. He believes in being as fast as humanly possible on defense so you can be multiple, and that's so you can force the issue onto the offense. I'm just really excited about this. He actually has a philosophy, and this is this is a far cry from what I think we've been getting since about 2013, which has basically been Mike Stoops having to completely learn a, a completely different philosophy like he did in 2013 going to the 3-4, and then he sort of tweaked it from there, never really being an expert in that type of defense. We got a guy here who has, who has the experience. This is his defense. He wants to build it, um, and I think... You know, hopefully in the first year coming in 2019 here, we're going to see uh, that payoff. And, um, you know, it's probably going to take a couple years, two or three years for him to actually completely implement his vision onto the defense. Um, but and this is where this is where I really like he, he preaches simplicity and speed. Um, and that's just going to make it a, a lot better here in this first year. The, the thing I'm really going to be looking at, Lee, is are they going to be able to be lined up this year? Are they, are they going to look confused? I think that's going to be the first step with Alex Grinch here because even we even saw it in the Orange Bowl, even after Ruffin McNeil took over. They still had no idea where they were supposed to be pre-snap. They were still confused right before Alabama was about to snap the ball. Alex Grinch, Lee, the first, the first thing that I saw when I go back and watch Washington State defenses, I see a defense that is confident and is sure of where they're supposed to be. And I think just, just doing that to the Oklahoma defense right from the start is going to be a huge, huge deal. You know, for a short time after Ruffin McNeil took over, I think there was that confidence in the Oklahoma defense that they were confident in where they were lined up and what they were supposed to do. But that was against TCU. That was against Kansas State. And they were kind of getting some some good positive games. And then they went back up against real offenses. Sorry, TCU and Kansas State like Texas Tech and then later in the year against Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And then the, the, the confidence was shot all of a sudden because they, they kind of realized, oh, wait a second, we, we still don't really have the, the proper, uh, I guess, philosophy or technique to really slow these defenses down. Uh, so I think it's important what you brought up that when you watched Washington State and you said you told me off air that you have watched back at least just kind of not like you took notes or anything, but you did watch that USC Washington State game that we had in our intro, and because uh, you you wanted to see Washington State's defense from 2017 against Sam Darnold, I'm sure, and just see how they played, and and so I mean, based on that, it, to you, it, it sounds like or it looks like that the Washington State defense was confident in what they were doing on a snap to snap basis. Yeah, I came away from that game being really impressed by Sam Darnold. Actually, <laughs> that was my main well, takeaway. Sam Darnold's yeah. a a really good quarterback. Yeah, I know, I know. But well, uh, that we don't need to get into that. That's dumb. Uh, yeah, 
Washington he's always been kind of been like yeah, yeah. kind of more down on him for Washington State's was. front in that yeah. game absolutely dominated USC's offensive line and it was mainly just with their front four Lee Alex Grinch's defense and this is what I saw on tape this is this has been confirmed by a lot of the stuff that I've read as well he is obscenely aggressive in the front four and I love that so freaking much um the thing that I really that that's very apparent when you watch them too, and um, I'm taking a lot of this as well. Uh, there's a really good kind of write up from ElevenWarriors.com from about this time last year after Ohio State hired him. This is when they thought that he was going to be their defensive coordinator because they thought Shiano was probably on his way to a different job or to the NFL or, or, or something. Uh, there's a great write up on that. I, it's it's kind of floating around online. I would really suggest people go and read that. Um, but one of the very first things that they mentioned in that Lee is about how much how much Alex Grinch loves to shift his D line pre-snap while the offense is is kind of in the middle of their cadence to try to sow confusion and when you watch them live that becomes very apparent they do that all the time and I love it I love that so much well I, I don't I don't think we've like even I don't think we've seen that from OU's defensive line at all in, in the last decade so there's just something uh, new right right from the beginning I think this is going to be a great defense for defensive linemen to play in um, and also, Lee, another big thing that we've talked about quite a bit here on this show is that this is going to be uh, purely a one-gap scheme. Um, so that means basically everyone on the defense is going to be responsible for one gap, or at least everyone in the box is going to be responsible for one gap. That just makes it a whole hell of a lot easier on, on the defense just because it, it, it makes it less confusing, to be honest with you. And so I've, I've said it ad nauseum on the show. I think two-gap schemes are absolute trash because they can only be consistently productive with pros running it. And that's why you have Alabama running a two-gap scheme, because they have guys like Quinn and Williams and Jonathan, Jonathan Allen on the inside who can just destroy everybody, and it doesn't matter. I mean, Raekwon so, Davis Raekwon this did, year yeah. as well. A guy's like 9 feet tall and like 300 pounds, and it's yeah. incredible, so, the, yeah. the so, talent. Yeah, the, the two-gap scheme, if you can run it, probably is the best way to shut down like a running attack. But it's just really difficult. You need incredibly, incredibly talented players to run it. That's why Alabama runs it, and they can run it. Nick Saban wouldn't be able to run that same defense at Iowa State, for instance. He just wouldn't. So, um, anyway, I, I like this a lot. I think it's going to be a lot more fun, especially for defensive linemen uh, in this in this program on that side of the ball. It's going to be a lot easier to recruit defensive linemen because when it's just one-on-one, when you're a one-gap scheme, it pretty much is just about winning your one-on-one battle up front. And that's what kids want to do. They want to, they want to blow by the offensive line. They want to make plays in the backfield. They want to sack the quarterback. This is something that they are going to be able to sell to recruits. Hey, in this defense, we want you to, be, we want you to play with your hair on fire. We want you to be aggressive. We want, you to, uh, we want you to sack the quarterback. We want tackles for losses. We want you to get the ball. Um, if you're a defensive line recruit in, in high school, how, how are you not going to love that? Especially playing in the Big 12, knowing that you're going to have a lot of opportunities to rush the passer like that. So... Um, that that's one thing that I that I really like that I that I saw on tape and that I've read as well, uh, and I really really look forward to see how he's going to kind of utilize uh, the talent that's already left over on this roster, Lee. Because this OU defense, for for as bad as they've been the last two years, they are not short on blue chip recruits on the defensive side of the ball. They got a lot of them, a whole hell of a lot more than Washington State ever had. So Alex Grinch's philosophy up front on the defensive line that can be pro number two and this is one of the the pros I had as well this whole uh, the way he likes to coach his defensive linemen that his philosophy and if you look at that 11 Warriors article it talks about it stimming is what it is when the line moves pre-snap moves a lot kind of gives the offense a different look and this is Alex Grinch 
being quoted uh, in the Seattle Times, and I am reading from that 11 Warriors article that you referenced a moment ago that I have also read and is very good. It's very informative. Grinch says, quote, it's really what offenses do to us. They shift in motion all the time, and they do it to make us get less help from the sideline and have less time to process the picture in front of us. It's commonplace on the offensive side of the ball. The idea simply being to make offenses make decisions late in the cadence and try to eliminate some of the help from the coaching box. There's a play called, now we move and it has to be changed, which just increases thinking on offense. If you can get guys thinking pre-snap, it can give you some semblance of an advantage post-snap. Simple, and he's right because, I mean, the last thing that you want any player doing on offense or defense is just overly thinking in times of stress or high leverage. And if just moving some guys up front and kind of confusing the offensive line and the quarterback for a split second – if that can help, why not do it? And it sounds like this is part of Grinch's philosophy. So if this can be drilled into the guys in the offseason, yeah, maybe it can also look good for uh, look good with Oklahoma guys doing it. And the last thing on this, too, that and you kind of touched on it briefly, how bad the Oklahoma defense has been the last two, three years. The best part of the Oklahoma defense in 2018, I thought, was the defensive line. And if you got a guy coming in here that has a philosophy that can help the defensive line out even more, and we'll see if Calvin Thibodeau sticks around. I know he's been kind of the one assistant coach that a lot of people have thought, well, he's doing really well. It wouldn't be surprising if the new defensive coordinator keeps him around. Uh, it, it Basically, it, it sounds sounds like the arrow for the defensive line is, is, is up right now for Oklahoma. Yeah, and I would agree. And if, even if you just look at the last two recruiting classes that Calvin Thibodeau has pulled in, a lot of blue chippers right there, Lee. Especially on, especially kind of at that, uh, at that Jack linebacker position um, with Jalen Redmond, and this year there's uh, there's Marcus Hicks and uh, there's Ron Tatum, who's probably more of a, a down lineman. But um, another thing, Lee, that that I, I think we do have to mention here, uh, that kind of the hybrid three four four three look with that Jack linebacker, that's going to be here to stay. That that's Grinch's base defense, or at least it was at Wazoo, um, and. I think we've brought that up as, you know, that that's not really my cup of tea, but, you know, that's sort of the way that defenses are trending these days. You have to be multiple. You have to have you have to have guys in your defense who can do multiple things. And um, hopefully Alex Grinch, a guy who has, you know, who uh, that's, you know, this is his bread and butter. This is his defense. Hopefully he can come in and he can just he'll he'll, he'll provide a better perspective and, and better teaching moments uh, for the guys currently on the defense. And like you said, uh a while back in the podcast about Mike Stoops is that he adjusted and went to the the three four defense what a year or two into his tenure his second year in Oklahoma they, 2013 they, they okay. fully went over to the three four and so yeah like the whole time it was almost like he wasn't really used to it and he was trying to adjust and kind of make it work whereas now you have a guy like you said Alex Grinch who has this as his defense this is what he's comfortable in and this is what he's been running so. Yeah, it'll be nice to have a guy come in. And, you know, maybe you know, even though we've kind of been down on this style of defense, maybe we're we've been down on it because we've been watching a uh, a bastardized version of it, a not quite proper version of this defense. And now that we, we see a guy that actually knows how to run it and he's used to running it with Alex Grinch, yeah. maybe we'll be more into it. And it's hard not it's hard not to say it's a bastardized version when you see 
I mean, how many countless clips are there online of OU just uh, like pre-snap and their alignment just being awful? I'm sure everyone's seen that picture in the Orange Bowl of of them basically having two gaps completely uncovered on a goal line play. Uh, I think it was Alabama's first score of the game after they overturned the fumble. Um, everyone has seen that. Everyone saw the the misalignment uh, against Georgia in the Rose Bowl. That stuff. That stuff. I don't think that stuff's going to happen with Alex Grinch. That that stuff. That stuff happens uh, because coaching staffs are confused. And uh, that's just—I mean, you, you can never be perfect. I mean, there's always going to be times where maybe alignment here and there is off. I mean, I, uh, not like not yeah, like the not like those examples. I mean, yeah, those examples seem pretty extreme. I mean, that was the one from the Orange Bowl this year where it looked like uh, the strength to the defense or the strength of the offense was called wrong. Which I don't know how that could have been called wrong, considering that it was obviously to the field side, and for some reason the strength seemed to have been called to the boundary, and it was the easiest walk-in touchdown ever. But it. Ultimately, though, when it, when it came down to it, it didn't matter because Oklahoma's been pretty bad in short yard situations all year, so Alabama still would have probably scored. But I well, think I mean, you got to give yourself a chance point, at though, least. Sure, but I think the overarching point to that is, though, maybe the short yardage defense won't be so atrocious to where basically Oklahoma is just conceding touchdowns once a team gets inside the 10-yard line every single time because that's basically what happened all year in And also that, that wasn't a walk-in touchdown. Caleb Kelly actually shot the gap and hit Damian Harris in the backfield on that and that you could you could probably argue if that if they're if they're a defensive lineman there they they could have stopped him there but okay well I think that was probably what a first down play a second down play they they, they just scored on no that was or third down that was third and goal wasn't it I don't I can't remember I can't it doesn't I mean it doesn't matter I'm just like I'm just that's saying just like that, that of, that's something that can't happen defense. that just can't happen and that exactly. was uh, that was the mistake of the coaching staff on that one particular play and I, I'm sure if we really went back and we uh, we furiously I mean, studied knows? it. I'm sure. I'm sure there are tons of plays like that over the course of the season, especially the first time they play Texas. All right. So the pros list continues. You've mentioned a couple of things. The last thing, definitively, you mentioned was the defensive line strategy and philosophy. What's your next pro for Alex Grinch? Oh, let's see here. Um, well, that's actually. I don't know. How about how about you have one okay. here? All right, I, I actually have some uh, some lists, so this will you you can just kind of piggyback on. Let's see, you've already kind of covered a couple of them. Let's see. Obviously, with the success at Washington State, uh, he had that success for three seasons as a full time defensive coordinator, but also he was the t- defensive backs coach at Washington State. So that tells me that he probably has some skills coaching up the secondary. Which, as anybody that has watched Oklahoma football for the past couple of seasons. That's desperately needed at Oklahoma right now. And the secondary play has been has been uh, not great to make it uh, to be as kind as possible. I also like that he played safety in college. So, I mean, he's got a secondary background. And you know me. I, I like guys that played in the secondary and understand what, what it's like back there. I know that Mike Stoops and Bob Stoops were secondary players as well. And, I mean, that worked out well for him a lot. But, you know, Mike Stoops, it seemed like, just kind of couldn't figure it out late, late in his defensive coordinator career. We'll see if he bounces back somewhere. So, I guess being a secondary player doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good defensive coordinator, obviously. But I, I like that just personally. Um, I also like that – this is something that I'm sure that everyone kind of knows, but it's just it's worth mentioning. He'll be comfortable running a defense – on a team that has an explosive offense and is going to score quickly, and it's going to be putting his defense back on the field 
you know, more than perhaps a, a normal regular defensive coordinator would like. But Alex Grinch, coaching at Washington State, he'll be used to that. He will understand that that's part of it. And quite frankly, I'm sure he enjoys that because what defensive coordinator wouldn't like to have an offense that is as explosive as Oklahoma's offense? So those are two of my next pros, Grant. I'll pause in case you have to, if you, have, you want to add anything to those two pros. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up just because, yeah, I mean, this this is significant. Um, it really is a big deal, Lee, that he has had that that experience working in that in that air raid. He knows what it's like to get a stop, and then the offense comes out and throws three straight incomplete passes and has to punt over the course of 17 seconds of game time. And, he, and he's got to put his defense back out there. He's used to that. He knows that that's a, that's a part of playing defense in this, um, in this era of football, and that's a good thing. I kind of always feel like Mike Stoops was always sort of fighting that philosophical change and the way that football has has changed like that. And it, it took him, it seemed like, multiple years to adjust to stuff like that. That's not going to be an issue with, with, with Alex Grinch. I, th- I think he understands where football is headed. Uh, and and that's that can only be a boon for the, for the program, I think. Um, and this is not really... I, I know a lot of people have also, uh, have also brought up uh, the... Uh, what am I thinking of here? Have also brought up him and uh, how... You know how he is kind of like an air raid guy, and you know I don't think this is just some sort of media creation or people are just are imagining things. Alex Grinch has come out and he has said that he is part of the air raid tree, that he has you know he came up in that system and he understands how to play it, and he understands how to play defense kind of married to that scheme. And so um, we talk about culture a lot, and we talk about philosophy of the program, and whether or not we like it, that is the philosophy of Oklahoma's program. They are an extreme air raid like team. Now I know that they that you know they run the ball and do all that stuff, but this is a team. Their program is built on offense, and so their challenge is always going to be how can we pair a good defense with that. And I think just in terms of style and culture and what Oklahoma wants to accomplish, Alex Grinch was by far the best person they could bring in because he has he has proven success playing with an offense like this. And he has proven success of taking a really bad defense at Washington State and making them not only respectable, but really good over the course of three years. And that's something that's really difficult to do, especially when you're only when you're only working with two and three star recruits like he was. Alex Grinch quoted in the official release from Oklahoma about this topic. Grinch saying, quote, Coach Riley and I have a number of mutual friends. I'm definitely in the air raid tree just on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not sure there's a better fit for an offense and a defense. I believe this is what Coach Riley is looking for. I also believe what we do works. Yep, thank you. Quote. I was, yeah, when I was sort of stammering over my speech there, I was furiously looking for that uh, for that quote on Twitter. Yeah, so that's, uh, that is nice. It, that, it really is nice. It's good. That tells me he gets it. He gets it. And I, I think that, that that can only be encouraging. And... You brought it up a moment ago. He knows what it's like to get a stop and then see an offense go out there and go three and out and take up 17, 20 seconds of possession time, basically no time at all, and come back out there. Well, the thing is that I'm sure that Alex Grinch is super pumped about is that it doesn't happen a whole lot at Oklahoma these days. There's not a whole lot of those three and outs after a stop. I mean, a lot of the times when Oklahoma's defense gets a stop, Oklahoma's offense will be like, oh, my gosh, thank you, and let's go score. Uh, I, I know there's been time, you know, certain games where we would kind of limit the fact that Oklahoma's offense and defense weren't 
playing complimentary football where Oklahoma's offense would start to kind of go in a shell whenever the defense finally did get a couple stops in a row, which that was annoying. But for the most part, Oklahoma's offense doesn't get stopped a lot. And once you do get those stops, you're rewarded for the most part as a defensive coordinator because that offense can go back out there and make your job easier by scoring some more points. And that's what we've been waiting for is a defense that can get more stops. And so we're not playing the game every week. How many stops does Oklahoma need to win this game? And we're joking that it would be great to get five or six stops, which in a normal football game, five or six six stops should be I mean, assumed you should you should always get that many. And then you want to get more and more and more on top of that. <laughs> so let's see more pros. His final year at Washington State was in 2017. And that year, the defense for the Cougars was fantastic. He was a semifinalist for the Bros Award. And uh, and you, we've kind of talk, talked about this uh, somewhat. I mean, Washington State, it's a school, does not recruit like Oklahoma. And he was still able to coordinate defenses that statistically have been better than the Sooners have been the past two and three years. So that's cool. That's important that he's been able to do it with lesser players. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of want to go back here, too, because and I know the um, taking the ball away is one of the first things we talked about. But I want to I, I just I want to emphasize this is not the takeaways that Washington State generated were not just like by happenstance. This is this is Alex Grinch's philosophy. He, he legitimately believes in taking away the football. And just to prove that, he legitimately like did a, a, a long-form study on himself about the effects of takeaways on defenses. And he, ba- he, he came away with what kind of what everyone knows now in the analytical age, that takeaways equal victories. So he bakes that philosophy into his defense, Lee, and that is going to be one of the firm beliefs and philosophies of this new OU defense. They are going to try and take the ball away from you every single play. I freaking love that so much. And looking back at 2017, his final year at Washington State, the takeaways, again, it was 28 total forced turnovers that year. And it wasn't like they were getting all of their turnovers one way. 13 fumble recoveries, 15 interceptions. So almost right down the middle in interceptions and fumbles. So they take the ball away in different ways. And, and that's that's great because I think this season for Oklahoma, yeah, 11 takeaways. Uh, I think most of them were, man, I were most of them actually fumbles. Now that I think about it, like seems which like is, it. Well, yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna look it up real quick. Actually, okay, they had 11 takeaways. It was pretty split down the middle. They had five fumble recoveries, six interceptions. So okay, cool. It'd been great. Only if they having six that. picks playing in the Big 12 is pretty pretty awful weirdly enough Oklahoma State and the aggressive style of defense the Cowboys played they only forced 13 turnovers this year yeah that is pretty yeah but they I mean they had they had a ton of tackles for loss though oh you didn't even have that Iowa State only 16 turnovers this year that's I mean so some of these teams it's for whatever reason maybe the Big 12 just has some really good quarterbacks don't turn the ball over Texas only forced 20 I would say Which it's still, more. I'd love twenty for OU. I would ahead, say it's sorry. probably more has to do with quick read offenses that are based on one read and that you catch the ball and you get it out. I'd yeah. say that's 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 probably the the biggest reason for that. I mean, Kansas led the Big Twelve in takeaways this year, but I think we we kind of uh, busted this this uh, narrative month you know, weeks and months ago because Kansas was able to pad their turnover stats in like the first two or three games of the season where they forced six turnovers against central Michigan and six turnovers against some other 
team that was is very good. So, you know, they got like Rutgers. basically half their uh, Rucker. Yeah, they got basically half their turnovers this year against Central Michigan and Rutgers, two of the worst teams in college football. So, yeah, turnovers. Awesome. Grant, uh, I only have a couple more pros and they're actually I, I have one more and it's not anything that uh, in depth. It's just something that I think you've brought up before on this show, but I just wanted to reiterate it. My last pro for this one is that he was so highly thought of that Urban Meyer hired him from Washington State. And and you brought I think you brought this up before in the podcast. When a guy like Urban Meyer wants you, that's significant. Very much so. He has he has had an eye for coaching talent his entire career. So there you go. That's uh and that's so is Mike Leach for that matter. As Clearly, well. yeah. Mike Leach has figured it out. Yeah, Mike Leach has had a lot of coaches. I saw something on online about how all the coaches he's had poached recently, and good for him. I mean, up, up there in Pullman, he's working well, see, wonders. Just, yeah, I mean, just on OU staff, Lincoln Riley, Dennis Simmons, Bill Biedenboe, now Alex Grinch. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much. You brought up really early in the podcast that the more we kind of thought about it, we know more now. Obviously, it's a done deal. This always kind of made sense, right? Because you look at Alex Grinch's history and being obviously being at Washington State for three seasons. You have Lincoln Riley, who was at Texas Tech under Mike Leach for all the all those years. So clearly they knew each other. They there was there there was some I'm sure discussions there. And yeah, like it it kind of even though you know Grinch has never coached in the Big Twelve. I know he coached at Missouri for a couple of years. He was there as a uh, safeties coach or a defensive backs coach for a few years at Missouri. I know Gary Pinkle is his uncle, I believe, is what I read. So he's got some sort of uh, Big 12 background, if you will, because I'm sure that he knows about the Big 12 because his uncle's Gary Pinkle, who coached in the Big 12 for years. Yep. Also, Lee was a national champion at the D3 powerhouse Mount Union, which has produced some other really good head coaches as well. He was teammates at Mount Union with uh, uh, with Jason Candle at Toledo and also Jason Campbell at Iowa State, or I'm sorry, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Um, you know, that's that's a really good pedigree coming from that school. So this is that that that's a culture, and that's a, that's that's like a spread innovator team as well. A lot of spread concepts came out of Mount Union, so he sort of cut his teeth going against that offense every single day in practice as well. So, um, and that was the early 2000s. So he's he's well versed in all of this, and you know he's going to bring that culture mindset, that championship culture mindset um, that you need on defense, especially in the Big 12, uh, because I mean let's. Let's be honest about it. Even if Alex Grinch is really successful as Oklahoma's defensive coordinator, there's still going to be games where they give up a lot of huge plays because they're playing in the Big 12. Oh, yeah. That, there's no question about that. Let's get to the official release. Just get some quotes just to get some background on. I mean, we still haven't heard them actually publicly talking about this, Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, but a couple of quotes stood out to me. We talked about recruiting earlier, and we know how how much Lincoln Riley enjoys recruiting. I think that's pretty clear. Oh, by the way, Lincoln Riley just signed an extension in the last couple of days. We didn't mention that, but I mean, so not a surprise to the people like you that listen to this podcast. We've been telling you for the last year, the last months, that Lincoln Riley is not going anywhere. He wants to win a national title at Oklahoma. He's hungry, and he's even more hungry now after this past season, and now he'll be even more hungry now that he's probably confident that he got his defensive coordinator of the future. So Lincoln Riley on Alex Grinch and Alex Grinch's recruiting ability, quote, he's a very diligent and very, very involved recruiter. His specialty has been the secondary, 
but he'll certainly be involved in all aspects of our defensive recruiting. He's a personable guy and has an outstanding track record in that area. It's something he's very invested in, and he fits with the standard that we've created here. Recruiting is going to be at the forefront of everything we do. Alex certainly agrees with that and fits in perfectly. So standard, but good to know. And then there's one other quote from this that I wanted to say on the podcast on Alex Grinch's defensive scheme. And this is from Alex Grinch. He says, quote, the scheme is designed to let players play fast. It's a downhill approach. We work into gaps in our front and speed is our calling card. Today's offenses are built on space and speed. You have to combat that with speed of your own. With speed on defense, it affords you the opportunity to run a multiplicity of coverages and fronts. It's kind of exactly what you talked about a little bit earlier. It's, and the thing is, you need speed in the Big 12. We know that. Does it always translate to playing a team like Alabama? I mean, speed's always going to translate, but then you get to the whole idea of size and strength, things like that. Does that translate? Okay, but you know, speed's always going to translate well because, I mean, speed kills. It's a cliche, but it's true. Let's see if there's any other quotes in here that I like. Yeah, I mean, that's about it. I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to add or that stood to you, Grant. No, I'm just excited. I mean, this is a this is a really good defensive coach coming in. And I, I just think it's it's going to be a really positive thing for there to be a new voice uh, in that locker room, a completely new voice. Hopefully, hopefully he's going to bring some uh, some assistant coaches with him as well. So you're excited about it, huh? Well, are you ready to be a little less excited when I go sure. through the cons of the Alex Grinch hire? Sure, go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. What do I have? This? Come on, come on. Sorry, looking through my notes here, people. You you get it. Okay. Like, here's the deal. With any hire, there's always going to be concerns. And to be clear, if Pete Golding would have been hired, and candidly, I was more on Golding than than you. You were more Grinch. I was more Golding, just based on what we knew about him. On the the two main guys who were rumored, you know, even if they had hired Pete Golding. I'd have had concerns as well with Pete Golding, just just different kinds of concerns because, like I said at the beginning of the show, nobody's perfect. Let me be clear. I'm pretty excited that Oklahoma got Alex Grinch. I'm excited about Alex Grinch. I really am. I am. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think it's a bad hire because it's not. It looks like a really good hire. But I just think it'd be kind of irresponsible to not bring up some potential concerns with Alex Grinch. And I have three potential concerns three cons if you will and here they are number one if you look back at his time at Washington State his only truly great defensive year was 2017 in 2015 and 2016 his first two seasons his defense was fine but it wasn't necessarily great Uh, I will say those two seasons 15 and 16 they were better than the 2014 season the year that got the previous defensive coordinator fired but the two years before that guy got fired, and I apologize to him, I, I did com- uh, commit his name to memory, the 2013 and 2012 seasons were actually pretty similar to Grinch, uh, Grinch's first two years at Wazoo based on a yards per play, uh, opponent passer rating, average yards per rush, sacks, even turnovers, even, I mean, turnovers and also third down percentage. I mean, the numbers and those things were pretty similar in 2012 and 2013 
as they were in Grinch's first two years in 2015 and 2016. And then all of a sudden in 2017, there was a massive, massive jump. So, and I think you kind of touched on this briefly. It took him until year three at Washington State to truly have a really, really good defense. It was an elite defense statistically. So the question is, how patient can we be? Because I'm not so sure that in the first year, maybe even the first two years, that we're going to see a defense that's eye-poppingly good. That's my first concern. What do you think about that? Here is, here's, where, here, here's my point against that. Washington State had bad football players on their team. Not very talented football players. So all of a sudden they had good football players in year three? No. No, I'm telling you that they were probably very, very young when he took over. And then by year three, you can see the culture and the philosophy taking hold. And they probably had a lot more experience on defense because they had guys who were in his system for three years. At a place like Washington State, it's not just going to be an overnight thing. At a place like OU, where you're stepping onto a defense that has a 60% blue chip ratio, it's going to be a whole hell of a lot easier to turn that thing around in six months. All right. That's a, that's a decent counteract. I just right. I, like the, Oklahoma's defense right now, and I know that they've been bad the last two years. They are not void of talent. There's more blue chippers on on Oklahoma's defense than on their offense right now. They've done a good job recruiting on that side of the ball in terms of pure high school talent. Now it's up to Alex Grinch to to kind of tinker with that, get guys in right positions. I I, I think I I really do believe that if we see just a simple step up in um, in recognizing where they're supposed to be pre-snap, um, trying to limit the confusion on the defensive side of the ball, that's going to go such a long way. That is going to be huge. Here's something that I found that was pretty bizarre. If you compare the 2014 Washington State statistics, this is the year before Alex Grinch got hired that got Washington State's previous defensive coordinator fired. If you compare those numbers to... 2018 Oklahoma this past season for Oklahoma in five key categories the numbers are strikingly similar yards per play Washington State 2014 6.1 yards per play allowed OU 6.1 yards per play allowed opponent passer rating Washington State 158 which is I think it might have been dead last in the nation Oklahoma 151.8 it's also terrible average yards per rush both teams are actually decent against the run Washington State four yards per rush given up Oklahoma four yards per rush given up sacks exactly the same 29 sacks for Washington State in 14 29 sacks for Oklahoma in 18 turnovers pretty close as well Washington State only eight turnovers forced Oklahoma as we've said multiple times in this podcast 11 turnovers forced in 2018 and then the one the one thing that Washington State did a lot better than Oklahoma did in 2014 get offenses off the field on third down Washington State 39.3 percent opponent third down conversions Oklahoma 46.3 percent in 2018 that I thought that was bizarre and that I mean Oklahoma's like you said Grant a lot better players in Oklahoma than Washington State had back in 2014 and and the defense was just as bad so I I agree that it'll be in theory easier because there's more talent at Oklahoma than it was at Washington State but I think it would be foolish for us to anticipate a massive jump I think we just should hope for competency on defense in 2019 yeah i'm not i'm not saying and, that there's going, I know, i'm not I know saying they're not gonna, saying they're gonna I'm be not, elite i know yeah they're not gonna be elite i they can certainly be good 
they have enough talent on their defense to be good. All right. And so, and I think, I think, like I said, it, just being lined up correctly and not being confused for 75% of the snaps is going to go a long, long way. And I'm just, I'm just not going to get all caught up in stats that he had at Wazoo. Um, I, I, it's just, that's just right. not something that is really going to concern me that much. And if you want to bring up stats, then I, I'll, I'll bring up stats for you. Here we go. You guys know I like S&P. Here we go. This is uh, Wazoo Lee in 2014 before Alex Grinch showed up. They finished 101st in defensive S&P. That is identical to Oklahoma's 2017 defense that lost in the Rose Bowl. They were also 101st in S&P. Well, after Grinch's first season, Lee, they finished 74th in defensive S&P. In 2016, they were 63rd. And then in 2017, they ballooned all the way up to 29th. Or didn't balloon, but they shot up to 29th and had some really good games. They had and just incredible havoc numbers that year as well, which is which is what I'm really excited for because that's how you take the ball away and that's how you that's how you generate three and outs. And with Oklahoma's type of offense, when you when you start generating a lot of three and outs, that's that's how you bury teams. Like what happened to OU in the Orange Bowl. Um, and so Lee, just I and. I, I just I don't want us to get too caught up in what he did at a place at a place like Washington State that is not bringing in very talented players and just as as and I know this is going to be comparing apples and oranges to some you know to some extent but I don't think we should really get caught up in the numbers that these other coaches had at lesser programs and for instance I'm going to bring up um, how Lincoln Riley's offenses finished at ECU in the five years he was there uh, per S and P Lee here are the five offenses that Lincoln Riley coordinated at ECU per S&P. Here are their final ranks. 2010, they were 45th. 2011, they were 57th. 2012, they were 67th. 2013, they were 50th. 2014, they were 48th. You go to OU, here's his four years at OU. 7th, 1st, 1st, and 1st. Yeah, and I was looking at the numbers actually for Lincoln Riley because this was going to be a fun exercise for us to do at the very end. Let's look back and think of potential concerns about hiring Lincoln Riley but I went I went through you know I don't really care about the S&P like like you do I always look at you know I I looked at the five categories that I had earlier uh the the things I looked up for Lincoln Riley at East Eastern Carolina or East Carolina was yards per play passer rating so how good how good was your quarterback you know your rushing yards uh, per attempt how good were you on third down and explosive plays, 20-plus yard pass plays, or not pass plays, just 20-plus yard plays in general. And actually, I have those stats, and I'll go over those stats a little bit later because we still have to talk about Alex Grinch. And, okay, you don't want to talk about his Washington State days. Fine. Let's no, talk about I do. His- I just – I. It's just we, we okay, can you don't easily – stock into it. We can easily pick stats that we like and don't like. Defense is about, is about culture and scheme. Right now, both are broken at Oklahoma. And I agree. Alex Grinch, Alex Grinch, I think, is a culture hire, and even Lincoln Riley mentioned it in the press release yesterday. He mentioned culture, which I think is very, very, uh, just a very good sign, because that tells me that he understands that the culture is probably the issue, is the biggest issue. You have hey, so to, you, that Alex you have, Grinch is the guy that's going to help build the culture that we want and expect here at Oklahoma on defense. That is number one for Oklahoma. That is the first thing that needs to be rebuilt, and then they'll, then they'll worry about scheme. And this so is where Alex about, Grinch is big. And I agree. I'm excited about that. Let's talk about Alex Grinch's one year at Ohio State when he coached the safeties. Uh, according to an 11 Warriors article, which you've already referenced that website, the safeties apparently had, had some problems for a good portion of the season. 
And things didn't start to get better until after game nine when they made some personnel changes in the back end. So, you know, maybe it was as simple as they had the wrong guys, either one or two guys back there playing safety, and they didn't realize until the very end of the season. Something tells me that the talent at safety at Ohio State is a little better than Oklahoma. So it's a little bit of a discouraging sign that in year one, that the position group that he was in charge with coaching, that they struggled a bit. I grant, Granted, I know this is a small sample size, so maybe this doesn't mean anything at all. But you know, Ohio State's defense wasn't that great this year. How much of that is on Greg Schiano? Most of it, because clearly something happened. But uh, you know, Ohio State got gashed in a decent amount of games, and they seemed like they were able to short some things up at the end of the year. Well, Lee, I you know I read another eleven Warriors article from a few days ago when they basically reported that Alex Grinch was going to go to Oklahoma about two year, about two days before it broke. Um, and in that article, Lee, they mentioned that Alex Grinch virtually had no say over the defense whatsoever. It was all Greg Schiano. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I understand the concern there. But at the same time, I just, I, I think it's pretty easy for me to say that that was on, on Greg Schiano for the most part. So, and plus, Again, and, and, and Ohio State's, size, Ohio State's so. defense was still exponentially better than OU's this year. Yeah, it was. You're right. But they have a lot more, ta- uh, do they have more talent? Probably. Yeah, can, yeah, quite yeah, a bit more. They do, especially on the defensive line and secondary. Oh, yeah, and at linebacker. Yeah, of course they have more talent. Duh, that was a dumb question. Okay, so here's – I have one more con, and this is actually the most important one to me, that I think we have kind of seen the last handful of years, maybe not that many years, but especially the last year or two. And it is that the Pac-12 where Alex Grinch was – coordinating defenses for Washington State granted Washington State the talent's not great there there's better teams in the Pac-12 it ain't the Big 12 when it comes to offenses and the biggest challenge by far for Alex Grinch is coming into the Big 12 conference where you're going to see these offenses on a week-to-week basis and quite frankly the best offenses on a week-to-week basis in college football and and for the for that matter, the Big Ten. I know he wasn't really in charge of the defense last year. The Big Ten any, anywhere near clo- to the Big Twelve either when it comes to offenses. So this will be a huge challenge for him, and that's my my biggest concern is coming from the Pac twelve to the Big Twelve, where the Pac twelve is kind of Stilis- an, an stylistically the Pac twelve is much much more similar to the Big Twelve than the Big Ten. Stylistically, yes. Explosiveness of offenses, though, not even close. And sure, you, but we're I mean, he's, this. but, but I the mean, scheme, Oregon was supposed to be some big time high flying offense this year in Oregon with Justin Herbert was nothing special. Sure. But the schemes are not going to be foreign to him when he was That's three, true. three years in the Pac-12. He saw very similar stuff that he is going to see in the Big 12. It's going to be ran by more explosive players. You're right about that. But it, schematically, it's not going to be alien to him at all. Yeah. That's true. I just. The t- and you mentioned it earlier too. It's I mean, there's going to be big plays allowed in the Big Twelve. I mean, no and doubt yeah, about and, it. And and let's say this: uh, it, it's a con. I mean, we can use the Big Twelve as a con for anybody they bring in here. I mean, I'm trying to think here. Who, they they could have brought Dave Aranda in here, and we still would have said, ah, but it's the Big Twelve. I mean, this conference just chews up and spits out good defensive coordinators. Look at Manny Diaz. So you know, yeah. it's it's that that's that's the nature of the Big Twelve. I, I don't think I don't think Alex Grinch is going to shy away because it's the Big Twelve. So Grant, you've been watching the a lot of college football in the last few years, right? And you're you're you you probably consider yourself a college football expert in a lot of ways, would you say? Uh, yeah, compared to the to the average human, yes. So how's uh, 
how's that Washington offense in the the Pac-12? Does that Washington offense is that does that scare you when you watch it? When you watch Jake Browning throw the ball around, and does that look like an offense that should be able to just gash and exploit your defense? Well, no, but I know where you're going with this because Washington blew out Washington State all three years that Alex Grinch was there. Lee Washington has just much better players than Washington State does. Did you? I and and I, I knew this was coming, but did did you even did you see like the size of Washington State's defensive line when Grinch was there? No, no. They, they they were like all under 270 pounds. A team that any 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 sort of competent ground game, no matter how well you scheme it, was going to just run them over. Okay. So I, I just I Washington Lee for you know pretty much ever since Chris Peterson has been there. If you remove USC from the equation, because that's a dumpster fire under Clay Helton, Washington has by far been the most talented team in the Pac-12, and they also have the best coach in the Pac-12. That I mean those were just good Washington teams going up against frankly not very talented Washington State teams. All right, and they also had NFL receivers. You know they had Pettis and also John Ross when they were going up against them. Uh, Miles Gaskin, who's had a really, really good career. Jake Browning, his sophomore year at Washington, he had a great year. He's he's regressed every single season since then. Uh, I just I'm I it doesn't bother me when when a you know when a team like Washington State loses to Washington forty five to ten. They scored ten points. Yeah, it gave up forty plus points to Washington all three years at Washington State. So that's concerning. <laughs> I, sure, I, I guess, but like you know, we could we could point to a lot of things that would be concerning. And again, this is surface level stuff. If I went back and watched the games, like I, I think, kind of what you're hinting at is that I bet if we watched these games, a lot of it was just Washington's strength up front. I bet they ran the ball quite a bit, and it was just power and pushing Washington State around a lot of the time, probably, as opposed to Jake Browning just throwing it around the yard a lot. And in theory, you you hope that it's not going to be a thing at Oklahoma where you're going to have defensive linemen for the most part just get pushed around up front and have the ball ran down their throat because again Oklahoma has actually weirdly been decent against the run for the last year or two with the exception of a couple games here and there all right that's my that's my con list Grant that's it oh, they not were, as long as my pro list they were freaking atrocious against the run in the first half of this season yeah they were like atrocious atrociously terrible and they were atrocious against the run in 2017 down the stretch, especially against Georgia, obviously. So yeah, let's let's do this this thing where you know you t- you're, we were texting on Friday and you made up a good brought up a good point. You said you know there was probably some some reasons and concerns to have regarding Lincoln Riley whenever Oklahoma hired him, and I thought that's that's pretty fun. Let's let's go back look at the numbers. And so you brought up your S and P stuff, and it wasn't all that impressive, I guess, compared to what he's done at Oklahoma offensively and ranking wise, but. Honestly, when you go back and look at yards per play, passer rating, rushing yards per game, third down percentage, explosive plays, East Carolina for five years was, with the exception of one season, was pretty good. And the explosive plays kept getting better and better and better every single year. He went from, uh, actually, he took a dip from year one to year two, but then it kept getting better. And year one in 2010, 20 plus yard plays for East Carolina, 57, which is pretty good. 2011, it went down to 41. 2012, 52. 2013, 65. And then in 2014, they were third in the nation. They had 93 20-plus yard plays at East Carolina. And Riley only had one bad season. And, I mean, it wasn't even that bad. 
it was 2011, where his, his team averaged 5.1 yards per play, which that's that's not a very good number. Quarterback play was kind of down. Oklahoma, East Carolina, they they couldn't run the football, only 3.3 yards per rush. But weirdly enough, on third down, they were pretty good, 46% on third down. If we were going to look back at all these numbers, if let's let's take us back to 20 January 2015 when Oklahoma hired Lincoln Riley. If I was going to throw out concerns, it'd be kind of similar to to Alex Grinch with, hey, this is at East Carolina, a group of five school, so he's never had to go against. Yeah, I know the Big 12 didn't have great defenses, but still more talent. So I'd, I would have thrown that out there. Another thing that I would have been worried about when it came to Lincoln Riley Grant is looking at his tenure at East Carolina, the Pirates didn't run the football really at all. They weren't very good at running the ball up until his last year. So I would have probably said, man, I, I this is a guy that's strictly air raid, Texas Tech's going to just throw it, not going to want to run it. So there's not going to be a whole lot of balance there. And just to give you the numbers, yards per rush attempt, which I like that because that gives you an idea of how many yards they're getting, obviously, every time they run the football. In 2010, it wasn't that bad, 4.3 yards per rush. But in 2011, only 3.3, like I said a, sec- a second ago. 2012, 3.8 yards per rush. 2013, 3.9 yards per rush. And then 2014, it got really good, comparatively, 4.8 yards per rush. So one of my big concerns, Grant, would have been, I'm not sure if, if he's going to want to run the ball that much, which is, uh, you know, takes you away from balance. So I thought those numbers were pretty interesting. But on the whole, though, the numbers in East Carolina were – Pretty good, I thought. And Leif, that that was the primary concern amongst the fan base when Lincoln Riley was brought on. And oh, it uh, was okay. See, that's oh yeah, I wasn't paying that much. Oh attention. yeah, by far. I mean, that was a huge concern. Um, and you know what? Who knows? Maybe he would have gone more pro air raid if he didn't have P Ryan and Mixon in the backfield when he got here. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, clearly Bill Biedenbow and that whole group and the offensive line that. He, uh, he either just realized immediately, like, hey, these are pretty good players. Let's utilize this, and, and it'll also help out my quarterbacks and receivers. Or he kind of evolved on it and realized that you got to be more balanced, and he's become the best play caller and the, the, the best play caller in the nation and uh, the best, maybe even between the NFL and college, maybe the, the best offensive guy in the game right now. Uh, maybe. I mean, maybe I know he's I mean, right up I mean, there. I, Sean McVay is up there. Obviously, it's just when you, you watch Sean McVay, they're doing it with simple ideas and a lot of 11 personnel and the same groupings and a lot of the same formations. And it works. Uh, but he, you know, we'll see. That's that's neither here nor there. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So and it's interesting, too, to hear you say that that was a concern from the fan base about him running the football. So I, I guess I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, right. I mean, if, if you're going to say if. You know, if our biggest concerns with Alex Grinch coming into this is that, you know, his his units were not statistically elite at Washington State, I, you know, I that's just that's not really going to bother me a whole lot at all. It's just we're all right. you're, they'll end the conference. You're you come to Oklahoma, you're playing with a completely different set of cards. All right. Well, yeah, I uh, I like the hire. I'm very happy with the hire. I just think it's important though to point out that not everybody is perfect. And I am looking forward to hearing him talk and hearing his philosophy. And for another year, uh, spring football is going to be interesting because you got some some new blood. I mean, spring football to me is always kind of boring because oh, I'm it's I'm all spring. in this year. It's going to be just it's going to be very interesting this year. I, I'm I think 
I don't know. We do kind of share my thoughts on this. The thing that I'm most curious to see in the spring is is to see if there's like any position changes or anything like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Good I'm call, by yeah. far the most interested in. Yeah, I am. That will be one of the most interesting things, definitely, is to see see changes. See and also, is it and also a shake up in the secondary? Yep. in particular. So I was gonna say, like, is there? I mean, Lee, the, the secondary, you can say a lot of things about the secondary, but one thing they're not short on is experience. Got a lot of dudes back there who have played some significant minutes in major, major college football. Um, yeah. So, is I mean, is it going to be a, hey, let's completely start new in the secondary? Every single job is up for grabs. Um, I'm mostly thinking, of course, about Buki. Will he be a corner this year? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot yeah. of interesting things. I mean, just think, I mean, all the guys who, who played this year at safety, that's a lot of experience right there. Man, I just – sorry to the Oklahoma players and the current coaches there, but I, I kind of have this this feeling of Alex Grinch going back and watching tape of this past season just to kind of see what he's got on that side of the football and you know watching the All-22 and watching the secondary. I kind of hope that he's watching it and thinking like, oh, boy, um, we got some work to do with technique we got to get back to the basics over on that side of the football, boys. I just I, I got a feeling that that might be happening whenever Grinch goes back and watches in-depth tape of this Oklahoma secondary. And here's, here's, here's another positive. This is something that he has had to do before. He has had to step into a team that had a broken defense and a broken culture, and he had to turn them around, and he did. He succeeded. Yeah, that's And true. you know what? Lee, Washington State, even after Alex Grinch has left, they continued to play good defense, and that is because of him. That is because of the bricks that he laid before him. That doesn't just happen. That is built on by culture. And they had guys here who had played under him after he left who were, who were ready to, to carry on that mantra and that mantle. So this is like, uh, you, you can, like I, I think you can look at Washington State this year as well and point, point to them and say, yeah, I don't think they would have been that good on defense this year if it wasn't for Alex Crinch. Yeah, probably. Makes me wonder how much Tracy Clay's Tracy Clays is a is a is a pretty darn good defensive coordinator in his own light. He was the he was the DC at Minnesota under Jerry Kill, and they always they always had shockingly competent defenses uh, when when Clays was there. All right, well that's all the thoughts I have on Alex Grinch. Uh, it sounds like that's the same as you. Real quick before we go, any just because you know there's there's people out there that probably listen to this podcast all the way through and maybe want to hear our thoughts on. The national title game on Monday. I know the last time we talked, it was a lot of like, ah, I'm not sure if we're going to watch that game. I don't really care about it. Uh, that was that was definitely an emotional thought on my part. I have changed a little bit. I, I actually am kind of interested in watching now. And uh, I just have a feeling that I, I think Alabama is going to win. Granted, I thought Alabama was going to win last year, and, and I was right, but I thought Alabama would win and cover relatively easily. I have a similar feelings this year. I just I think Alabama's going to win and cover – and maybe might win relatively easily. And the reason why is, again, it goes back to Clemson. I don't know if Clemson has really played anybody anywhere near as good as Alabama. And you could say, well, nobody has because Alabama's the best, and that's true. But apologies to Notre Dame. I, I think maybe we were not you – know, Notre Dame got a lot, of, a lot of crap before that game against Clemson. I was saying that that was basically the ACC championship game because both of those teams played a lot of ACC teams this year, and the ACC was was atrocious. So I, I'm not sure Clemson's played anybody. I know they haven't played a defense anywhere near as good as Alabama. I know Trevor Lawrence is very good, but he's not the kind of 
mobile player like a Kyler Murray or a Cam Newton, things like that. So I think he'll be able to make some throws. He's going to have to make a lot of back shoulder and a lot of jump ball throws with those NFL wide receivers to have a chance. If he can't really do that and Alabama kind of gets a feel for him and he gets rattled, I think Alabama's – especially with that offense because Clemson's defense hadn't seen an offense anywhere near this good it, it could get away from them but at the same time I will kind of hedge a little bit and throw out there I know Clemson's really good Dabo Sweeney's a great coach that defense is very good so there's a chance this could be another classic Bama Clemson game but I do lean towards I think Alabama's going to win cover and potentially could end up winning by two to three touchdowns yeah I uh my original thought on the game uh was pretty similar to you I thought it was you know Emotional at first, but I'm, I'm definitely going to watch the game. I think from a football perspective, it's obviously a, a an intriguing game. I think from a schematic you know, standpoint to see what Clemson is going to do to try to attack them. Um, but yeah, the more that it's gotten closer to the game, I think the more that I, I, I really, really don't just lean Alabama. I like Alabama quite a bit. And Lee, it's because Alabama is the beneficiary, I, I think, of the two biggest mismatches in the game. And that's one, their defensive line against Clemson's offensive line and two Alabama's receivers against Clemson's defensive backs. Those are the two biggest mismatches in the game and advantage Alabama in both of them. So, um, that's a good call because you know, I, what other wide receiving core, what other kind of offense has Clemson faced this year that can stretch the Clemson defense like this? I guess the only none, one that's close is maybe South Carolina. None, no, no team can stretch you like this Alabama team can. And, I, yeah, we've seen really we've seen we've seen uh, Clemson play kind of like two passing attacks this year that have any semblance of consistency or skill or or value, and that's Texas A and M and South Carolina. They got freaking shredded by both. So and Texas A and M, you could argue, is not a, that's, really a, a very dynamic passing. That's attack. not a very good passing team. I, I just. We, we, we disagree on, on Kellen Mond. I, 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 just, I don't think he's particularly a special player at all. Uh, him, him shredding Clemson's defense is, is not a good sign for Clemson. Granted, that did happen back in September. That, that was also September. was whenever yeah. Kelly Bryant was the quarterback. So, but I mean, who knows? Jake if Bentley Trevor in Lawrence South Carolina there, more points. just threw for 500 yards against Clemson, and that was less than a month ago. Or that was yeah. a month ago. And South Carolina's obviously South Carolina's defense isn't Texas. Uh, Texas, oh my gosh, Texas isn't uh, Alabama's defense. So Clemson was able to basically outscore South Carolina because that South Carolina is not a good team. Yeah, not a good team. So you you go up against an Alabama offense. Obviously, they're going to watch tape on that OU game. They're going to take away. They're going to try to take away the RPO game with the slants, and they might very well do it. I mean, Clemson again. Brent Venables is a great defensive coordinator. They might be able to figure it out to where it's it's not as and it, as the offense there is not as explosive, but if Tua, he looked 100% healthy to me against Oklahoma. Granted, the defensive line for Clemson is really good, so there's a chance that, hey, maybe Tua gets hit. Maybe it's like an SEC game where maybe he gets banged up a bit and he gets a little hobbled, and then he starts to, it starts to affect his play like he did against Georgia in the SEC title game where he was incredibly off. But if, you know, if Tua is 100% healthy like he looked and he's dropping dimes like that, I just – Good luck, Clemson. I, I'm sorry, man. I just so yeah. yeah the more I, I think about it, it I, I I definitely like I I'm more of a lean to. I I definitely would like Alabama, especially whenever they're laying less than a touchdown. I mean, it's almost like they're kind of, you're kind of getting Bama cheap. Yeah, I Lee, I like Bama to win like 38 to 21, something like that, and I think it's going to be like a double digit game for a majority of the game. I I just I I think it's going to. 
I, I don't think it's going to be the classic that everyone is kind of hoping for. But, you know, I've, a lot I've of people have been wrong to win this game that I'm kind of surprised by that. A lot of people are, are potentially outthinking the room a bit and taking Clemson not only to cover, but to win straight up. Have you noticed that, too, or is that just me? Uh, I guess I haven't really seen a lot of that. Okay. I guess maybe that's just um, me. I, but also, I watch man, way if, too many pundit shows. If Clemson does win this game, just man, the Trevor Lawrence hype the next two years is going to be absolutely insufferable. Yeah, but he's, he's a good, good player. player. He's a really good player. But you know, I, 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 I can't deal with that. Please. The last thing for you, and I was talking about this at work the other day earlier this week to uh, Brett, uh, who's a. Uh, a loyal listener to West of Everest and he's our producer that went to Miami for the game. And I asked him, I said, Hey, if, uh, if Alabama comes out and let's say just, just blows out Clemson beats them by like four or five touchdowns, will that make you feel a lot better about the orange bowl? And he said, Oh yeah, definitely. And you know what? That's kind of a hacky fan thing, but I, I would also feel better about that too. What about you? Um, I'm more just going to see how, um, how Clemson does against Alabama's offense. Um, cause make no mistake, uh, after, after the first quarter, OU did whatever they wanted on offense in that game. And I know, I, I understand the first quarter matters. I understand that it still counts in the final score, but you cannot tell me that Alabama's defense was not incredibly frustrated going up against that offense because they most certainly were. Um, and you could, you could tell in the fourth quarter of that game, Alabama's defensive line started to get really frustrated. Um, so yeah. And the, the one thing you could say in the praise Alabama. Yeah, Oklahoma, again, we talked about it last podcast. Effectively, Oklahoma scored six straight possessions. But what Alabama did a really nice job of, with the exception of one play, they limited explosive plays. With the exception of the Charleston Rambo touchdown, they made Oklahoma go down the field and take up time off the clock. So they didn't let Oklahoma get those quick strike touchdowns like uh, they actually really needed I, to get. I went back and they OU had, had a fair share of explosive plays. I mean, that was their only explosive touchdown. But they had a fair share of like chunk plays of like over twenty five yards. Hmm. They, I mean, they, they had a it couple of like Carson they had Meyer, a, like two they had or three yeah. long, long drives where it was like, gosh, this drive is like fourteen plays and it taken up like six minutes off the clock. It's like, ah, you really need to score faster. Yeah, which, they had those two. which was Alabama was clearly trying to do. I mean, they they didn't want to they wanted to let the you know shorten the game considering they were up by so many points. So. I mean, it's you have to take that into account too. I think you definitely do. But that, I'll, oh, and, and one more thing too, I want to just bring up that I think we've kind of talked about before on previous podcasts. But this narrative that this Alabama defense is not as good as other Nick Saban defenses in the past, and that's actually like Clemson's got a better defense than Alabama. I disagree with that big time. I think Alabama's defense is just as good as it always is, and I think it's better than Clemson's defense this year because I think Clemson's defense is not as good on the back end, and I think Alabama's strong everywhere with the exception of maybe in the middle at linebacker, but it seems like teams are never really able to exploit them over the middle of the field, and I don't know if maybe Clemson will. Maybe Clemson will be able to use those RPO games on crossing routes and just exploit Mac Wilson and company over the middle of the field, and it'll look really good, but I, I think Bama's defense is better than Clemson's defense, and I don't understand that narrative that it's not as good as past Alabama defenses. I, I, I don't know what you were you saying on that, but I just wanted to get that out there because I just think that's if that's part of your handicap of why you think Clemson's going to win, I think your handicap is not very good. Yeah, I don't know. In terms, I mean, you can you can split numbers all you want, but yeah, after watching uh, after watching OU go up against that Alabama defense, that's. That's just I I don't know about you know best, but it's that's certainly one of the most athletic defenses I have ever seen at the college level. 
And Clemson's not going to be able to pose. I mean, Clemson's offense is very good, obviously, but it's not not as good as Oklahoma's offense. And they don't have a Kyler Murray. I mean, that's Kyler Murray was able to run, you know, for over 100 yards and was able to do things against Alabama's defense. Alabama's defense doesn't really plan for on those off schedule plays. And will Trevor Lawrence be able to do that? Maybe sometimes, but not to the extent of Kyler Murray because he just isn't as fast as Kyler Murray. And so uh, it's just when I – seeing what they did against Oklahoma at the start of the game, I mean, the first quarter, this is not that big of a deal, but the first quarter is going to be huge, obviously, because if they can come out and punch Clemson in the mouth again like they did to Oklahoma and kind of shake and rattle Trevor Lawrence a bit. It's what Bama did to literally everybody this year. Yeah, yeah, that was right, my right. That was my thought during the first quarter of the Orange Bowl was like, wow, they have, they've fallen victim to like what every single team that has played them has this year. Yeah, every just game got, we watched, all watched of a sudden, back, just, I mean, yeah. the very first series is always just, the exception of that random first play touchdown pass that Ole Miss got. <laughs> I mean, it was just, yeah, like A&M, like second play of the game, A&M got incredible pressure up the middle and Mon threw a bad pick. And just like that, Alabama had the ball in like you know plus territory two plays into the game. Like I swear, Missouri, Alabama, yeah, thing, Alabama yeah. was up twenty-one to nothing on their opponent, and I and like seventy-five percent of their games this year in the first quarter. Yeah, it was like, and I know that, that and like, is and so good. I might have to go fact check that, but I don't think it's going to be that far off. Yep. All right. Well, that does it here. Um, Wait, again, do not, stick. No, no what? other thoughts. Just like on. Let's see here. We've had uh, Cody Ford's going pro. Marquise Brown's going pro. Um, Texas beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. No thoughts on that or anything? I didn't know that was the podcast for that. You know, I thought maybe we would, you know, save that for later because we, we we're going to save. We got a long. We got a long off season. We're going to save that for late. What we're going to talk about Texas beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl in February? Uh, I mean, all right. Let's uh, let's talk about that. So. I, mean, I, I don't have not- a lot to say about it. It was I. I think you know once you saw so, sort of the stuff that was happening beforehand. Um, once DeAndre Baker said that he was out for Georgia, it was an easy Texas pick for me. I thought they were going to win as soon as that was announced. Um, yeah, and I was on Texas to cover. I mean, I definitely took them plus the points. I, I wasn't sure if they were going to win. Uh, granted, I, I I I wasn't surprised that they won because I mean Texas is a good football team and. Uh, as soon as the Georgia, Georgia players yeah. started talking crap on last Saturday. Uh, the playoff day I knew I knew they were screwed right from the get-go yeah I, I do like that storyline for the game because the fact that the players were talking so much smack on social media you can't really use the narrative that Georgia didn't want to be there and didn't care because you'd think that if you had that mentality of man we are we should have been in that playoff we got to go out there and show the world that we are really good and we deserved it and they went out, and essentially, I know the score didn't look as bad, but, I mean, Texas beat them down. I mean, it was 28-7 to with, what, five minutes to play in the fourth quarter, and somehow Georgia was able to get it to within one touchdown? Oh, yeah. Te- yeah, Texas so, controlled that game. They were, they were a much better team that night, for sure. And the most impressive part, the, the fun part for, for me and probably for you and a lot of people in the Big 12 is just watching Texas' defense, which was not as good this season as it was last season, really frustrate and dominate George's offense which I've been telling you I know it's a really good offense but it's 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 very simple kind of whatever offense granted Jake Fromm is better this year and Jake Fromm played a a very bad game but I think it's because of Texas defense Texas probably saw on film a lot like hey man this Georgia offense yeah it's really good they got a lot of talented players but as far as Oklahoma and Texas Tech and Oklahoma State what they do 
ain't that difficult to figure out. Let's just go and use speed and beat them. We're not going to be fooled by anything. And Texas' defense was was really good, and it helps to have an NFL player on the defensive line in, in Omenahue, and they have a really good secondary, and, and they're fast. And it's not that surprising that Texas' defense played that well against Georgia, and that was nice to see. Yeah, schematically, Georgia just does not stretch you like Big 12 teams do. Um, you can go ask any Georgia fan. They all hate Jim Chaney. Um, and I, I, I sort of had a feeling that Todd Orlando was going to pants uh, – George's offensive coordinator in that game um and also to just as as soon as DeAndre Baker was out um I just envisioned um LJ Humphrey is 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 a monster against anybody he goes up against and I just I'm not sure if that mattered that much though because Texas was able to run the ball pretty well and yeah DeAndre and Baker I actually wouldn't have been there to really help against the run I yep. mean he's a he's a really good cornerback yep, I kind of away your best receiver kind of saw that coming as well Georgia this year surprisingly has not had a very good run defense um, they've been sort of in the middle of the pack, like analytically speaking, and I, I sort of figured that Ellinger would have quite a bit of success scrambling, falling forward, getting two or three yards when he needed it, and that was certainly the case. And then Lee, when L.J. Humphrey did have the ball in his hands, Georgia just couldn't tackle him. Yeah, just that like was no, nice just like, to see. It just like nice nobody can tackle him. Right. You know that was good to see. That I'm sure if Oklahoma's defensive players watched that game, I, I bet they probably felt a little better about themselves watching Georgia's players also slide off of LJ Humphrey and fail to bring him down multiple times that um yeah Colin Johnson has already said he's going to be back for his senior year I I really hope that LJ Humphrey doesn't get any ideas he is I, I that guy I've said it numerous times that guy terrifies me I think he is you know I, I think coming back in 2019 he is by far the most terrifying offensive player in the Big 12 you just got to make sure he doesn't catch the football. Just he ain't that fast. Just make sure, just knock it down, knock well, it he, down, man. He, he catches it pretty, pretty darn well. That's what I'm saying, man. You guys got to just, just drive on those routes. When the ball gets there, you knock it out of his hand, prevent him from even touching and catching the ball. And then if you do that, then you don't have to worry about tackling him. A lot easier and, said than oh, done. Oh, and I think we also have to bring it up. Jake Fromm was was truly, truly awful against Texas as well. He was. He was. Yeah, I had praised him to the high heavens against Alabama. He was. He. I think, you know, in hindsight's twenty twenty, but Georgia certainly is Georgia's a lot more talented than Oklahoma, obviously, on defense, but Georgia's certainly benefited from a, a very hobbled Tua in that SEC title game. Yeah. And I guess it is it is telling now, and we kind of made fun of it before, but Grant, I mean, Jalen Hurts won that game against Georgia. Georgia couldn't figure out how to stop Jalen Hurts, who's way less talented than Tua. And I mean, Sam Ellinger is basically Jalen Hurts on steroids as a better throw over the football. And I will admit that I don't think Ellinger is that great, but I think he's a better throw over the football than Jalen Hurts. And that was Georgia cannot stop that for whatever reason this season. And it's almost like Bama should have taken Hurts, uh, should have taken two out earlier because maybe they would have been able to win that game over Georgia a little more comfortably. <laughs> hey, Georgia got like uh like 10 underclassmen either transferring or declaring for the NFL draft on Friday. How about no that? Kidding. Did you see wow. that? Yeah. So Justin like who's Fields going to Ohio State now. Yep. So that's OU's not going to get Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. So they had I think what it was, I think they have they had six guys declare early, three guys and then four guys are transferring out and Justin Fields is is included in that group. So um yeah, so guys who are gone. I know Elijah Holyfield is leaving, Isaac Nada is leaving, Michael Hardman's leaving, Riley Ridley is leaving. Uh, there's some guys on defense as well, I think too. Well, Kirby Smart will have to reload. 
I'm sure yeah, they Fromm's will. Still there though. Fromm's there. They return like their entire offensive line. Swift is still back. I'm sure they've. Rec- I, yeah, they've they just had the number one recruiting class last year, so I'm sure they got a bunch of studs waiting in the wings. But I don't know. It's kind of I thought it was sort of interesting. It's I think you can probably point towards Georgia next year as a team that is probably going to take half the season to get their you know their feet underneath them. Let's see the other thing. Uh, yeah, Cody Ford, Marquise Brown, they're going to be gone. Uh, Cody Ford made himself a lot of money this season. Yeah, he I think could he, be a, he's going to be a top he could 10 be pick. a top 10 pick. I wouldn't uh, be surprised he's, if he's the first offensive lineman taken, to be honest with you. He should just, be a first rounder. I think I think he's a cinch first round pick. Yeah, just just and, wait until uh, he goes through the pre-draft process. I think he's going he's going to shoot into the top 10 of every single draft board. And also, too, what's going to help him is the success that Orlando Brown has had this season. Everyone was turned off by his combine and his measurables. And yet he comes in and I saw a stat that. He started the last 10 games, I think, for the Ravens and has not allowed a sack. The caveat should be thrown in there, though. The Ravens aren't a team that's dropping back to throw every single play. They're a a running team. And and the thing is, though, Orlando Brown is a big dude. He's also a good run grader. He can can maul you up front because he's so big. Can I toot my horn a little bit here, Lee? (laughs) Go for it. What was the one thing I said about Orlando Brown when he was drafted in the third round? I said I understood why he fell because of the combine. But the Ravens sure got a huge steal at that time, and at the very least, he's going to step in and be a dominant run blocker. What is what has Baltimore done in the second half of the season with Lamar Jackson? <laughs> they've they've ran the wing T, <laughs> and not they've really, been, but and yeah. they've been incredibly effective. Like nobody yeah, can have. stop it. They have. They have. And he's been he's been running he's been running behind big old number seventy nine quite a bit or seventy eight whatever 78. number he is. Yeah. And Mark Andrews is there, and having and Mark Andrews is Pro Football Focus best rookie tight end this season. So it's just, you know, which NFL team is going to draft a bunch of Sooners in April? I mean, the, these guys are, are are helping out their former teammates a lot because I think again, Cody Ford is going to benefit from again. He's going to have a lot better combine and pro day than Orlando Brown did because he's more athletic, he's stronger. I mean, he's a mountain of a man. He's gonna he's gonna have great measurables, and then the fact that. Orlando Brown has been so good. It's going to definitely help, and then we'll see how, the, how these other guys do as well. And Marquise Brown, he could be a first-round pick as well. Explosive player. Uh, I'm sure he'll get all healthy, and he'll, he'll probably run a you know, pro day in the combine. He'll, he'll run a nice 40, and he'll catch some passes, and he'll look really good. He undersized, but some NFL team will see the, the fact that he's maybe the most explosive player in college football when healthy, and that'll help him. Yeah, so I'm, I'm starting guys. to think, I, and I have no inside info. This is more of a feeling. I think Bobby Evans is going to come back. Yeah, we, oh, yeah, I guess he hasn't declared it all no, yet. No, he I mean, hasn't. I, I, think, I think Bobby's going to be back, which is, which is a big deal. I think that's going to make the, uh, the transition a little better. So, uh, be nice. should, should we talk about the Gil Brandt tweet where he said he wouldn't be surprised oh. if, if Kyler came back? Yeah, that... Uh, should we talk about it just shocker. so we can throw cold water on it? Sure. Don't get your hopes up, everybody. Please don't. That would be legitimately one of the most shocking things that I have ever seen in my entire life in the sports world. Just don't get your hopes up, please. It'd been a lot cooler if his first, if his because he had two different things in the the Gilbrandt tweet. By the way, Gilbrandt is a former Cowboys executive for years, uh, and and he tweeted that he two things that he wouldn't be sh- he wouldn't be shocked if it happened. So it's not like he said our likely to happen he said he wouldn't be shocked he said one that cliff kingsbury is an nfl head coach i believe is what the first one was please make that happen by the way i, I really want that to happen 
and this is in 2019, so this year, and his second bullet point was Kyler Murray returns to Oklahoma. It would have been a lot more in- interesting if his first bullet point was Alex Grinch is the next defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. <laughs> I wish that was his first bullet point, followed up by Kyler Murray returning to Oklahoma. That would have been <laughs> so, I'd have well, a did, lot more confidence in his second bullet point. Did you see the caveats go along with it, though? I guess Lincoln Riley and Gil Brandt have like a personal relationship. Yeah. Like they've known they each, know each other, other for years, I guess. Yeah, Gil Brandt, yeah. And I kind of looked up and read into this. Apparently, they met each other and they, they built a relationship 10 plus years ago back when Riley was recruiting the DFW area and he was working at Texas Tech. And so just, I don't know. You, I heard a lot of people who, after Gil Brandt tweeted that, came out and said, yeah, Gil Brandt doesn't just throw stuff against the wall to see if it sticks. So he heard something to, to, you know, to tweet that, I'm sure. Sure. But, and like I said, it's, guys, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Do not get your hopes up. I mean, if it does happen, it's, it's all fair game, man. Yeehaw party if it does happen. <laughs> that would be... That'd be something. I mean, okay, let's just, I know, God, this is a way longer podcast I thought it'd be. Here, you know, why would Murray come back? The the question, not question, maybe Lincoln Riley is like, hey, listen, Kyler, I mean, like, we're going to hire Alex Grinch. The defense is going to be better. And you want some defensive help for the first time, finally? You got it. You know, and, you know, Kyler Murray is such a young guy. He clearly loves football. And I can totally see him being somebody, because he's already kind of proved it for one year at least, like, he had that Major League Baseball contract. He had all those millions of dollars, and he could have just said, I'll take the money and go. But it, he was so confident that he could come back, play football for a year, you know, his, have his health, and, and he got through the entire season, didn't get hurt at all as far as we know. There wasn't any reported. Like I'm sure he was you know, bumps and bruises here and there. And I know he got banged up against Bama. Heck, we saw pictures of him after the game. It looked like he had like a, a shiner. Like It probably happened whenever he had his helmet knocked off when Quinn and Williams drove him to the ground. And you know, it looked like he was he was definitely beat up against Bama, but I mean, ultimately he got out of there with his health. You know, maybe he's a guy where he's thinking, you know what? I'll have my entire life to play baseball if I really want to. I have a, a small, finite amount of time to play football, and even though I probably could go to the NFL right now and be a first round pick, you know what? I really do want to come back and play some more college football. I mean, it, it it's nuts, but if anybody's going to do that, it'd probably be Kyler Murray because of what all the decisions he's made up to this point anyways. Again, it's very unlikely, but Gil Brandt wouldn't be shocked if it happened, so should we I game, guess I wouldn't be shocked either. Should we game theory it out a little bit then? So what, if, if this happened, he would? I would suspect he'd probably go and play like spring ball this year with the A's, I would guess, and come back. I think that's what Russell Wilson did in his grad transfer year. Hmm. I'd have to look so, that up. I don't know 100% sure how yeah. that all worked. And then also, and, and so I just want to, let's preface it by saying, I th- this of course would be, it would make for an incredibly fun 2019 season, obviously, with Kyler being back, CeeDee Lamb still being there, Grant Calcaterra still being there, and with three five-star receivers coming in. Yes, it, it sounds very fun, but everyone we're st- everyone's still playing for second place next year. Alabama's going to be damn near unbeatable next year. More so probably than they are right now. So it's just... It, yeah, for all the losers who have made snarky comments about how, oh, maybe we only need two teams in the playoff now, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, you know what? Ironically, this age of college football that we're in right now in 2018 and honestly 2017, 16, 15, with Clemson and, and Alabama being so dominant, weirdly enough, the BCS would have actually been not terrible. Like it would have... People would not have complained all that much. Like, oh, yeah, the two unbeaten teams in the title game this year. All right, well, we'd like there to be more, but like, okay, sure. 
Whereas like back in the day when the BCS first came out, uh, a real playoff would have been a lot cooler because there's a lot more parity back then. Yeah, this people need to realize that Bama's dominance is not normal. There's a reason yeah. this is the best nine-year stretch in the history of and, college football. And this is not too. Got to throw Clemson in there too. The way they've been playing the last four or five years. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll give Clemson some credit, and I think they're obviously you know on a on a different level than where Oklahoma is. But this, I mean, this narrative that it's been like an Alabama and Clemson world. No, it's it's been an Alabama world. Clemson has has had the benefit of playing in an incredibly terrible conference. They had Deshaun Watson, and they've had really good defenses. So and I, I think Clemson's been obviously a really good program. They haven't been anywhere close to the level of Alabama. Yeah, the more hearing you just say that last statement, it kind of makes me even like Alabama more. Because can you imagine this the, the narrative after this game if Bama do, goes and kind of wins handily? Because now, for the first time ever, they have that great elite offense. And even though Clemson's defense is really good, they can still you know score points, blah, 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 against Clemson. And the narrative being like, man, it really is just Alabama. Like, gosh, it, it really is. And, you know, the whole college football, nobody watched those playoff games, Grant. The ratings were down, I think, 25% is what I saw. Granted, I saw a headline. I didn't read the details. So I apologize for not knowing the exact details of that. But I saw that the, the college football playoff ratings in the semifinals were down 25%. Yeah, you can attribute that directly to the games not being on New Year's Day. Oh yeah, that's probably. A this big is part easy. Of it. This is easy. There, like, there's a lot. There was a lot. And also, of the games were very good this. because, I mean, Oklahoma. Even though Oklahoma Bama was fun, the, I mean, if you tuned in and you're a casual fan and you see it's twenty one nothing after the first quarter, you're turning that game off, right? It's just yeah, yeah. More people watch the Rose Bowl than watch the Cotton Bowl. Like this is not hard. It's it's the. There's been two seasons where the playoff, the semifinal games have been on New Year's Day, and both years the the TV ratings have been astronomical. It, oh, this okay. isn't hard. They, they need to be point. on New Year's Day every year. Rose Bowl be damned. And yeah, I know like a lot of people right. are would be upset about that. It, it, it's not one lick of difference if the Rose Bowl is played on January 1st or January 2nd. I'm sorry. The game will still be incredibly beautiful and wonderful, and no one will remember that it's not on New Year's Day. <laughs> Two out of every three years. All right, this is. right, let's get out of here. It's a, we got to get going. Um, stay tuned to social media, Facebook, predominantly for our next podcast uh episode here's the thing our next episode whenever that is i i, I can't commit to it right now because i'm not sure we're going to do it I, i'm sorry it it sucks that we can't be more scheduled in the off season it's just we can't right now but the next one's going to be fun because we're going to go back through all of our preseason predictions that we had on our 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 our, our big yeah preseason prediction show and we're going to figure out where we were uh right and where we were wrong and we did this last year and we kind of ranked them of like you know best predictions hall of fame bad predictions and it was fun so we'll do that with the next podcast episode so stick to the facebook page and uh, we'll let you know when that's going to be until then for grant i am lee this is west of everest